and welcome to today's short podcast. I'm going to come back to that in a second, but I am Charlie Pickles. I'm, of course, joined by Peter Franklin. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Peter. So I said welcome to this short because we're not actually unpacking and unpacked today. We thought we would look at a couple of articles that were on the website last week about the war on drugs. So Obviously, if you're avid readers of Unheard, and we very much hope that you are, you will probably have seen that uh, Lord Falconer, Charlie Falconer, wrote an article, um, what do you call it, a bit of a sort of confession maybe, Peter, is that the way of putting it? A sort of... A mere culpa. Mere culpa, there we go. Yes. That, is, it, that is exactly the phrase, uh, Peter, uh, about the war on drugs. Um, and it's a piece entitled Why I Regret My War on Drugs. And I'm just going to read you quickly the opening uh, sentence or two. Uh, so this is Charlie Faulkner. I am sorry for supporting the war on drugs. I realise now it has been a tragic disaster that has inflicted harm on the poorest parts of Britain and abject misery on people in the most desperate corners of the planet. So quite strong words. And this is a piece which effectively goes on to call for the legalisation and regulation of all drugs, Mm. which is quite a radical position. Now, uh, we asked our very own Peter Franklin uh, to use his vast brain, he is known as head of brains uh, in Unheard, um, to... Consider that argument and to do a response to uh, Lord Faulkner. So we're just going to work our way through the article. We're going to explore some of uh, Charlie Faulkner's arguments and we're going to uh, look at why the proposal for legalisation may not be as nice and neat as perhaps it is expressed uh, in the piece. So, Peter, I want to start off because you make the point that actually... The whole language of a war on drugs is a little bit absurd. Yeah, I think, yeah, and I think it's used by both sides. You get the people that use it in approvingly, um, a sort of an approving way, you know, it makes them sound tough, you know, and cracking down on crime and sort of beating the, the drug dealers. Uh, and those who are disapprove of the war on drugs, um, it makes them look like, well, I'm really realistic. I'm being really responsible here. We're not winning. Therefore, we've got to try something else. Uh, I think my point is that um, drug laws, like any other area of, of the law, it's not a war at all. It's a process of law enforcement. And uh, unlike a war, there's never, you can't win it. It's all about containment and not victory um so you're never going to wipe out crime um crimes don't disappear um but you can hold the line against them and i think we need to think about um how we deal with drugs in that way and one of the main arguments that is put forward and not just by charlie faulkner but by um other advocates of legalization or sometimes partial legalization is um the devastating um harm that it does to users that drugs do to users and um in the article charlie faulkner points out that 70 uh, seven zero uh, Britons die every week from drug related deaths, which you know is pretty awful and he also points out that um 
the damage is most serious in the poorest community. So actually, this is having a, a very unequal impact mm. um, in terms of sort of socioeconomic circumstances and actually also race, which is very well covered. And so he is making the argument that actually we need to be moving from a model of punishment to a model of treatment. Now, a point that you make, Peter, and actually something which I would very much um, agree with is that it, it, it seems to be conflating two things because we have on the one hand how we treat drug users and on the other hand and, and I would argue and you argue Peter quite separately how we treat drug suppliers mm. can you explain what why you think they're quite different issues well um users and suppliers are not always completely different sets of people of course but I think what is totally different concepts is um the legal status of drugs and how we help or respond to people that have problems with drug misuse. And I absolutely agree with Lord Faulkner that we need to get a lot better at it, that we need to get people... Well, first of all, we need to make sure that uh, we save lives where, in the more extreme uh, cases, there's, there's immediate dangers, dangers of overdose and, and other life-threatening conditions. Um, uh, and more generally, we need to get people not dependent on drugs. We need, to sort of, uh, we need proper rehabilitation. Now, I don't think that is linked directly to the legal status of drugs, unless, of course, you're saying that making drugs illegal means that we've got to lock up um, and treat in an inhumane manner all drug users. I don't think that follows at all. And I think actually sort of uh, you don't even need to decriminalise drug use. What I do think we've got to do is stop locking up most drug users. Instead, we've got to use those resources to get them off the drugs. And, 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 and you know, uh, the, the policies, and worst of all, in the United States of America, where the, the prison system there is just appalling. You know, a country with a fifth um, with 5% of the world's population, has something like a quarter of the world's prisoners. In part, that's due to the way that um, drug offences are punished. It's absurd, it's ridiculous, but we don't have to legalise drugs to sort that out. Well, and in fact, it's in America that um, they have in various places trial drug courts, and, and so this is where... Um, someone who has been arrested for yes. using drugs appear at a, a very specialist court, a drug court, rather than just a you know, generic criminal court. And actually they have the option of being diverted into a treatment programme. Yes. And often for these people, and particularly coming back to this point that Charlie Faulkner makes around it often being vulnerable and um, poor communities yes. that are particularly impacted, these drug courts are often the first opportunity that someone has been given to be diverted into a treatment program and Absolutely. to be able to access that. Yes. So, um, so I think it is important to remember that that point of arrest, that point of contact with the criminal justice system, can actually be the point at which you can turn someone's life around exactly. um, by using treatment. And we're squandering those opportunities, um, and we can squander them by a sort of overly punitive approach. And we could squander it with an overly liberal approach that just excuses people and let, lets them sort of carry on, 
carry on along their way to um, you know in some cases to to um, serious decline and ultimately death um, or in more more often just to you know sort of chronic social problems with implications for often children or other family members that's right indeed, yes yeah well, we should never forget you know the you know the, the absolutely innocent victims which are the people around them and they they're often left completely voiceless and in, in this debate and one of the countries that uh, lord faulkner particularly um points to in his article is portugal which i also found very striking because um he points out that portugal who has decriminalized users so mm. not supply but has, uh, or suppliers rather, um, but has decriminalised drug users, has a drug death rate now, which is one twentieth of ours in Britain, which shows that you can dramatically decrease the damage of drugs without having to legalise the supply. I, I would just sort of, a small note of caution, um, comparing different countries uh, drug statistics um, they are sort of gathered in different ways so it's it's difficult to make you know absolutely certain um, comparisons between them however I do think we should study countries whatever their drug law regime to see which ones are best at treating people who do get into trouble with um, drugs and we should learn from that of course we should and so one of those countries uh, that we could look at, you've already mentioned um, in terms of their very punitive um, prison-based response to uh, the war on drugs, um, is America. Yeah. And obviously America is now particularly known in terms of its drug use for the opioid crisis, which has been absolutely devastating. Yes. Um, and. This is a really fascinating case study, if we can put it that way, um, for those who argue for the legalisation of drugs. Because, um, Peter, as you point out in your piece, and indeed have I think you've written elsewhere on Unheard, um, actually the opioid crisis came from legal prescription drugs. That's right, yes. Um, well, that, that, that is what appears to be the case, massive over-prescription of you know, mostly, I think, pain-related med- medications um, uh, for people with chronic medical conditions, mostly. Um, those were oversubscribed. The drugs were misused. Um, that created a market for opioids. Um, some of them a kind of illegal market, a black market in the legal stuff, you know, people saving prescriptions and then selling them on. Um, but also um, drug dealers moving in with illegal opioids like heroin to provide an alternative source of the same sort of substances to people that have got hooked on the initially the, the legal stuff. And then once their prescriptions run out or they, they the money to pay for them has run out, they turn to the drug dealers and whatever substances that they might have on offer. So you see the legal market and the um, criminal market operating side by side. Well, indeed, sort of supporting each other in, in one sense. Absolutely, so, so. yes. One created the market for the others. Because we're, to, we're not talking about what, um, about 
uh, populations one might think of as natural markets for drugs. We're not talking about necessarily sort of inner city, sort of very poor areas. We're talking about kind of middle America um, and age groups as well that you might not think of as natural um, drug abusers. Um, but through the sort of respectability of the legalized supposedly regulated trade it reached into new demographics and that, that that's kind of the terrifying thing about it two of the um most interesting observations i think i've read about uh in relation to the american opioid epidemic was a paper that found that uh prescription opioids were now one of the key gateways to heroin use so not the other way around but actually that the the prescriptions as you were saying peter um were actually creating heroin users so Mm. the legal drug creating the illegal drug use but also um a different study that was looking at um the decrease in the participation rate of particularly uh, men in America. So that means the number of men who are, who are of working age in work. Yes. And actually, you know, we might think that opioid use um, or drug use uh, was something which would push people out of the work place. Uh, but actually what they were finding was these two things were hand in hand, increasing the non-participation rate in exactly, as Peter, you're saying, those communities which um, you wouldn't ordinarily expect to see it. So, you know, these legal drugs were creating all sorts of awful knock-on effects for the communities that they were um, being used in. So um, a real challenge, I think, to those who argue for legalisation to be able to sort of, you know, square those circles or join those dots. And it is interesting that that specifically um, Lord Faulkner in his piece says that um, heroin would only be available on prescription with mm. support from a clinician, which rather points to the fact that you're not wanting to legalise all drugs. But let's just go with that for a moment then and say, OK, so this is more about regulation than kind of blanket yes. legalisation. Peter, what are the kind of problems with that idea that we could just regulate all drugs? Well, first of all, do, do you honestly mean all of them? I mean, are you, I mean, one could say, oh, yes, we'll go up to cocaine and heroin, so at least we can produce pure versions of those. But... Are you going to are you going to legalize crack? Are you going to legalize spice? Are you going to are you going to legalize fentanyl? Now fentanyl is a super high strength opioid which has been cut in with um, heroin, for instance, and is responsible for um, at least uh, the the rising trends in opioid deaths um, because it's so dangerous. But of course, uh, fentanyl um, was a um, originally developed as a a veterinary drug, I believe. Um, Do you want to legalise that too? You know, if you mean all drugs, you mean even these super strength drugs um, that are responsible for so many many deaths. And how, how do you envisage people being prescribed these if they want them and being regulated into using them safely? Or at least in a safer manner. I mean... How? And you can imagine that the response might be, well, um, we wouldn't need all those drugs if you could access the, you know, slightly nicer, uh, if we can put it that way, um, slightly safer, perhaps that's the way to put it, um, legal drugs. But of course, there's plenty of evidence that shows that 
people, once they start taking drugs, um, particular drugs at least, um, do constantly have to look for then stronger drugs in order to get the same hit. And of course, in America, you did have these nicer, safer drugs that were prescribed in pill form in sort of regulated doses. Um, uh, And yet people went on to the other ones. And importing them from China, these terrible synthetic versions, which, you know, there have been instances where uh, law enforcement officers in America um, have come into contact with things like fentanyl and and, um, have been seriously ill as a result because they're so strong. Um, Just before we finish up, though, Peter, um, you do make the slightly, um, I think, fantastic point at the end of your article which is that there is rather a contradiction in in uh the whole argument around regulating as an end to the quotes war on drugs yes uh well if if you know these are really dangerous substances um if you're going to say you're going to regulate them to reduce the harm they do then therefore you are creating all sorts of conditions in which presumably they're still illegal well, at least against whatever rules you put down. Now, are you going to enforce those rules or not? And for instance, some of these rules might be, um, you know, making sure that under 16-year-olds don't get a hold of them. Um, others might be about not mixing different substances, um, having standardising doses, things like that. Um, a whole set of rules that you need to make sure that... Um, so-called regulation works. Therefore, you create a whole range of circumstances in which presumably drugs remain illegal. Now, if you're going to enforce that and you're going to do it in a way that's actually actually got teeth, then if you're worried about a war against drugs, if that's what you want to call it, then you are continuing it by other means. You're not abolishing it at all. You're just changing the terms of engagement. And there we go. That is precisely why Peter's article, if you would like to go on uh, unheard.com and read it, is called The Absurdity of Legalising Drugs. Very much hope you have enjoyed that discussion. A bit different for us, but we thought it was a good topic to try and get our teeth into a little bit further. Thank you, Peter, as always. Thank you for listening. Um, Please do subscribe if you haven't already and do check out our other podcasts at Unheard. And of course, do go and read both Charlie Faulkner's and Peter Franklin's arguments for and against legalising drugs. (laughs) 